In late September 2010, 64-year-old Edward Rosenthal planned a, a short afternoon day hike in Joshua Tree uh, National Park. On his way back to his car, he took a wrong turn and found himself desperately lost. And he ended up wandering for the next six days through uh, the California desert. Weary of his wandering, and because of the, the heat and the, uh, of the desert sun, 110 degrees in, in the afternoon without any water, uh, eventually he found some shelter, found some shade in a canyon, and resolved that he wasn't going to be walking anymore other than to follow the shade wherever that would lead him. As the days went by and as the sixth day came or the fifth day came, he, he wrote, took a pen from his pocket and wrote on the, on the brim of his hat, wrote notes to his family and also instructions that his funeral was not to be a somber occasion, but rather it should be a celebration and should be fun for those who are participating. But fortunately for, uh, for uh, him and for his family, uh, on the sixth day, a helicopter that was flying over spotted him, and he was rescued before anyone ever had to read any of the notes that he had written. We're told that about 2,000 people are lost in the wilderness each and every year, but countless people feel lost in their day-to-day -day lives, and being a Christian is no immunity from experiencing that feeling. Life is a, a journey. And it is a long journey like a marathon. It is a treacherous journey like a hike. And just as anyone would be unwise to engage on a long hike, say the Appalachian Trail from Georgia to Maine, to engage in that kind of a, a journey without having some understanding of the terrain that they're going to be traveling and without the proper tools. It's unwise for anyone to navigate the, the journey of life without a proper orientation point without a compass and without an awareness and a familiarity with uh, what the trail signs and the trail markers indicate. Colossians 2 verses 6 and 7 that we're looking at this morning, they provide us with such tools. The book of Colossians was written to a, a group of Christians who were living in the city of Colossa, a cosmopolitan town that was in the ancient Asia Minor uh, along a, a major trade route. It was a group of people who had heard about Jesus Christ, become followers of Jesus Christ, and now had become a little bit disoriented and began to become confused and, and somewhat discouraged. They were becoming discouraged because infiltrating the church were some poor trail guides, false teachers who were teaching them that what they understood was not sufficient. Bible scholar and teacher Douglas Moo describes it this way. The false teachers were apparently suggesting that Christians needed to go beyond the gospel in order to experience spiritual fullness. In other words, what these teachers were telling the believers in Colossia is that they needed to seek some deeper experience or they needed to uh, tap into some more significant spiritual reality in order to experience the fullness that God intended for them or in order for them to feel fulfilled in their lives. But like a ranger sent to the rescue, God sent the Apostle Paul to write to these Christians in order that they might be saved from this treacherous past. In verses 6 and 7 that we're considering this morning, we have the message that Paul sends them. It's, it's a hinge verse in this book. Hinge meaning that it, it connects everything that comes before with everything that comes later. 
As Paul begins this book, he begins it with some of the most beautiful and eloquent expressions of who Jesus Christ is that we're going to find anywhere in the Scriptures. And then he talks a little bit about himself and his own ministry and, and the way that he has been used and the reason that he feels called to minister to this body of believers. And then we have these verses that he speaks, these, these hinge verses, these words that orient us and rescue us from our own sense of lostness. And then everything that follows is an expression of the way that Christians are called to live out their lives in this world. And what Paul says here in verses 6 and 7, just as you received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk with Him, so live in Him, is what some translations tell us. And this passage breaks down into, and really very easily, into, into two points. The first thing that we need to recognize is that Jesus is, is telling us this, that just as you received him, that's our orientation point. Jesus becomes the orientation point for our journey through this life. An orientation point is the ability to recognize or to realize our own position in relation to the true north. True north, which is always stable and it is always a point of reference. All compasses point to true north. Jesus is our true north. He is the eternal God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchanging, and the way that we live our lives is in our orientation to Him. And Paul says, just as you received Him, which then begs two questions. One is, what does it mean to receive Jesus? And second is, how is it that we receive Jesus? Well, the word received here is, in one sense, very simple. You receive something simply by taking it as a gift somebody gives to you. And so we are told that we receive Jesus. He's not earned. He is not something that we have deserved or have merited, but we receive. It is something that is given to us as a gift. Jesus, the person, and every promise that is accompanied with him. But the word received here also has a little bit more significance. It's a loaded term. And without going into all of the different linguistics, uh, but it's important that we understand what is involved here. The word is, is technical, the word is theological, the word is, is historical. It's related to the Latin word for tradition. And then tradition, when somebody has tradition, a tradition is handed down. That's what actually the Latin word means, is to hand something down, to hand down a body of truth or a body of practices. The Greek word that is used here in verse 6 is really tradition in reverse. It's not the ones who are handing down the body, but it's related to tradition. It's those who are the recipients of that which is handed down, and that we are handed down a, a body of truth, a body of reality. And we're told, just as you receive Jesus, and so we are told that we are receiving Jesus. We receive him as a person. We receive every truth about him that, is, uh, that has been revealed, and we receive every promise that is associated with him that belongs to everyone who has received him. We receive him in his fullness. We receive everything about him. And, and the word here is not just like a friend. The word here is all-inclusive of the relationship that we can have with him. He is the fullness of God who has been sent to us in whom we find our salvation and 
our hope. And so Paul says, just as you receive him. And so it's, it's, a, it's a powerful and it's, and it's a packed word and term that is used here. But at the same time, it is very simple. Paul says, just as you received him, so then you are to live in him. But the second question is, how do we receive Jesus? And over and again, the scriptures teach us that we receive Jesus by faith and by repentance. Faith and repentance, the two things always go hand in hand. What Paul teaches throughout his letters, what the other apostles teach throughout their letters is this, is that to receive Jesus begins with our recognition of our own need of Jesus. It begins actually with, with God's extending the gift, but we won't receive until we recognize that we have the need. In the Dutch tradition, there's a, a question, the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is my only comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And then the second question that follows that up, but always must accompany it is, what must I know in order to live and to die in the joy of the comfort? And so we want the comfort and we know what the comfort is, but we must receive the comfort and we have to recognize certain things in order to have that. And the answer to that second question, what must I know in order to live and to die in the joy of this comfort, is that I must know three things. I must know, first, how great my sin and my misery are. Second, I must know how I am to be delivered from that sin and misery. And third, I must know how to thank God for such a deliverance. But it's a great summary of what the scriptures teach about how we are to receive. It begins with the awareness of our own need, the awareness of our own spiritual condition. Imagine it this way. Imagine that you find yourself feeling somewhat run down. You ignore it because after all, you're, you're busy. But eventually you find your way to the doctor and you've learned that you have a terminal disease, but one that is also curable. Do you think that information would be beneficial? Our whole culture is swamped with that. People are evaluating how they feel, every cough, every sniffle, every ache. They're wondering if they have a virus. And knowing whether they have the virus or not may determine whether they live or die. The same thing is true spiritually. Understanding our spiritual condition, which means understanding our own need, prepares us to receive the gift that brings life, that brings the cure from our condition. And that necessitates our repentance, acknowledging that we have this need, that we are infected with sin. But along with repentance is always faith, belief, an intellectual understanding of what God has done, what I must know in order to live and to die with the joy of this comfort, what I must know about how I'm to be delivered from the sin and the misery, the condition that I am in. And so we, we know that God has sent Jesus. We know that Jesus has given himself up for us all that he has died on the cross only to rise again here a week after we celebrate Easter. 
and that in his death, he paid a price, and in his life, he gave us hope, and he gives us life. And we believe in that because we believe in Jesus, who he is, what he has done, and every promise that he has expressed, and all the implications that belong to those who belong to him. And so we ask the questions, what does it mean to receive? It's to accept with, uh, uh, with an awareness of our need and with a, an intellectual understanding of who, he, who Jesus is and what he has promised and what is now ours by faith in Christ. And Paul lays that as the foundation. That is our orientation point. That is what never changes. And so we look to that reality and Paul says, just as we have received him, so now we walk in him. So now we live in him is what some translations say. And so Jesus is not only our orientation point, but Jesus then becomes our trail markers and our compass by which we navigate life. We continue to live in him and we continue to navigate this world by living just as we received him. How did we receive him? By faith and repentance. The Puritan Thomas Watson said, faith and repentance are the two wings by which we fly toward heaven. Both wings are necessary. And they are necessary not only to enter into the kingdom of God, not only to become followers of Jesus Christ, but they are the wings by which we fly toward heaven, the wings by which we navigate the path of this life, the wings by which we live. Faith and repentance, both are necessary at all times. Try flying a plane, or try flying anything with only one wing. It's not going to work. And so as we received him, being aware of our need, we live in him, also aware of our need, which then leads us to repentance. Martin Luther, the first thesis of his 95 that he nailed to the doors of Wittenberg, he stated this, that when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed that we would live all of our lives out as lives of repentance. Repentance is not just a one-time thing. Repentance is a gift of God that enables us to be cleansed and to unburden ourselves because the burden of our own sin, of our own guilt, of our own debt was now placed fully on Jesus Christ who died in our place but then rose so that we would have hope. And so how do we live? We walk in Jesus by being aware of our constant need, of our struggle, of our failures, and then repenting of them, loading them on Jesus, recognizing that the price has been paid on the cross for once for all. And that leads us to the second part of the, of the wing, second wing, which is the belief. That it was not only a matter of drudgery and just constantly confessing of, of, as if that everything is miserable, but by acknowledging that which is not right, we also believe that which is right and which makes us right, which is Jesus Christ who has come before us. See, it is a faith in what Jesus does. Paul goes on in, in verse 7, and he uses kind of an illustration word. He says, just as you received him, so walk in him, rooted in him. In other words, that he is the object and he is the one in whom we root our faith. Our faith is not rooted in things that we want. Our faith is not rooted in our own performance. That leads us to frustration and often to the feeling of, of lostness that many of us experience. Jerry Bridges in his book, uh, uh, one, of his, one of his books um, says, talks about the um, performance treadmill that he had experienced and that many people that he know experience it. And, and what he describes the performance treadmill is somebody who is laboring with diligence and intensity, but they're focusing all of their hope, they're rooting their hope 
in their own performance. And it's like walking on a treadmill. The harder we walk, the harder we work, we still don't feel like we're getting anywhere. And it leads people to be frustrated. It's one of the signs of feeling lost, even if it's momentary, wondering why am I not better than I am? Why don't I do more good things? Why do I continue to struggle with things in this life? Why do I let things bother me? Why am I under such anxiety? Why am I living with such fear? It's often because our focus is on our own performance or on the environment. And it is not on the one who God has given to us to be our orientation point, to be our guide, to be our trail marker, to be our compass. Our eyes, our focus, our faith, our hope is all to be rooted in Jesus Christ. And then Paul describes that when our faith is rooted in Jesus Christ, when our hope is rooted in him, that blossoms into fruit and overflows with great joy. That's what the passage here describes. Now, without doubt, we're lived, living in an unsettling time. Stress and fear and isolation are playing havoc with our emotions. And many are becoming anxious and, and feeling a, a sense of, of lostness even if it's just that, that momentary sense. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. It happens to me from time to time when I'm in places that I'm somewhat familiar with but, uh, but not uh, intimately uh, familiar with. But this idea that all of a sudden comes over me, a sense of, of sudden dread that, am I in the right place? Or maybe even the question, because of mine's been on a number of things, am I going in the right direction? Or this, this idea that, did I miss my exit, this, 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 this sudden surge of, uh, of fear, only for it to, to subside and to realize I'm where I need to be. But many of us are experiencing a wide array of emotions right now that feel like we might be lost in the wilderness. And our emotions are not to be ignored. They are important, but they are neither our orientation point nor our compass. Jesus is our orientation point. Jesus is our compass. We are to turn our eyes to him, root our hope and our faith in him. And as we are focused on him, we walk whatever way that is the trail leads before us. Paul gives us very simple instructions that we are able to ask ourselves whether we are rooted in Christ by whether or not he is the focus of our attention, reminding ourselves of what it means to receive him. Paul says, just as you received him, so walk in him. May we do that this week and for the days ahead, remembering not only this instruction, but Jesus' promise as well, that I will be with you always. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I pray this word will be of encouragement and direction for you even it has been for me. Have a wonderful week.